You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show is coming to you during the New York Giants bye week, a few days after they fell to 2-8 and eight with a disappointing loss to the New York Jets. We're going to spend most of today just sort of reviewing the state of the Giants Not necessarily talking about that particular game. We're a few days away from that. And here to to help us break down all things Giants is good friend Patricia Traina. Patty, how are things today? Hey, Ed, how's it going? We're in the bye week, finally. uh, Let's make it a nice long rest and hope that uh, we we come back and the Giants come back refreshed and ready to go. Yeah, Patty, you know, it's the season for all intents and purposes in terms of, you know, trying to accomplish winning record, trying to accomplish any of those things. You know, all all of that is is out the window. I think all that we can hope for at this point is that over the next six games, we come away feeling in some way, shape or form like the Giants are making some sort of progress. Yeah, I mean... At this point, you're right. The season is over. There's no chance of the playoffs. Um, there, there's no chance that they're going to finish with a with a winning record. Um, so, yeah, what you want to see when they come back from the bye is you want to see some progress. You want to get an idea of what you have and some of these guys who maybe haven't played as much during the first 10 games. And you just want to, you know, be able to go into the off season with a plan. How are you going to address this? Are you going to, you know, make changes? Do you decide you need a new, you know, linebacker or offensive lineman, et cetera. So a lot of decisions and a lot of questions need to be answered over these last remaining games. Patty, I guess we'll start with, you know, with the big question. I mean, there were, after losing to the Jets on Sunday, there were all sorts of calls for Pat Shermer's head, all sorts of speculation that, that, that Shermer either might not make the season or might get replaced at the end of this season. And, and it's easy to kind of get, get caught up in that, you know, in, in the emotion of, of the hours after a game. But what, when I step away from it and I think about it, for a lot of reasons, I still believe that as long as he doesn't lose this locker room and have the players turn on him, I think that that there's every reason to believe that the Giants would like Shermer to continue as their head coach into 2020. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ed. I know people are going to want to hear that, but... 
you know, and Shermer's not perfect, but but what I think is going to have to happen is there's going to have to be some significant changes. I don't see them keeping the status quo. No, I was quite frankly surprised that when Shermer was asked about staff changes, he said, I don't intend to make any. I don't believe in that. You know, and I'm paraphrasing exactly what he said. Because you look at what's going on and 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 you say, how could you go with the status quo? Now, from Shermer's perspective, he says, look, I do believe we're making progress. You know, it's not showing up because, you know, a play here, a play there. And you can argue, you can look at some of the numbers. And I've started to do that and look at some of the numbers and try to look at some of the circumstances behind what has been happening to this team. But the bottom line is, is there has to be some kind of growth. You can't have guys who last year looked so promising. Now all of a sudden they're, they're taking a step backward. You can't have rookies who are still looking like rookies after 10 games. You can't have the same coaching mistakes, you know, in-game management or, or the same mistakes being made with miscommunications. Those are all intangibles that have to move forward. You have to see progress in those. And I don't know that we've seen enough of that. No, Patty, I would agree that, that we probably haven't seen enough. I think that, you know, going way back to the spring and the summer, I think this season was really couched in the vein of, you know, from John Mara, from Dave Gettleman, of not necessarily the number of victories, but whether we came out of the season feeling like things were moving in the right direction. I think after 10 games, it's very difficult to say you know, in any way, shape, or form, yes, the Giants are playing a ton of rookies, but it's just I can't point to any tangible pro- progress. Uh, it depends on what you're looking at, Ed. I mean, you can say that Daniel Jones, even though he's been inconsistent, he has been doing pretty well. You can make that argument. Even with the offensive line, I know a lot of people are screaming about the offensive line and how, you know, that line has looked like garbage of late. But go back before Saquon Barkley's injury. Do you remember how we were all praising the offensive line and how much better they look because Saquon was running for 100 plus yards and they were able to pass for 100 plus yards, you know, to one guy or whatnot. It all kind of started to fall apart with injuries kicked in. And that's why, you know, I look at them and I say, yes, the play needs to be better. And yes, there are guys who are underperforming. But, you know, you have to kind of think outside the box here and say, is it because they've set you know, gone backwards totally, or or is there some other underlying factor that might be behind all this? I do think you're probably right. I mean, Saquon's injury, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram being in and out of the lineup. There are, you know, there are some reasons on offense. I think on defense, the the lack of progress has been somewhat disappointing. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about, Patty, is... I've been saying for a while, without really going player by player and position by position, I've been saying for a while that the roster, per se, is better than it was maybe middle of last year and definitely you know, better than it was when Dave Gettleman took this team over at the end of 2017. I went through it this week at Big Blue View and and in my in my view i think that perspective is right that the roster is better it's not perfect it's maybe maybe you can continue to argue that 
Dave Gettleman in his roster moves hasn't gotten everything out of each roster move, hasn't maybe you know used his capital as well as he could have. But the baseline question for me is, you know, that that I want to ask you is, do you think this roster is better than it was a year and a half ago? Do you think there's reason to believe that it's pointed in the right direction? I think in some areas, yes, and in some areas, no. Now, um, if you want to break it down real quick according to position, I think they're better off at quarterback. Running back, I think they're solid. I don't know what's going to happen with Sterling Shepard at receivers, so the jury's still kind of out there. But Golden Tate, the Giants have been able to kind of get production out of him since he's returned, so I don't feel horrible about that move. I do think the offensive line is better on paper. Now, I, I strongly suggest, like I said, that there's been some injuries and, you know, between that and a lack of depth at tackle, which I've been screaming about for like, I don't know how many years now. You and me both. That set him back. Yeah, that has <laughs> set him back. Defensive line is definitely better. Edge rusher, I think, you know, maybe about the same, you know, Marcus Golden has had a good year. But Lorenzo Carter, you would have liked to have seen a little bit more from him. And the defensive secondary, they've had their struggles, but there's some talent there to to be to work with. So it's a matter of, you know, on paper, it looks better. Uh, and I and I know I skipped over the off-ball linebackers. That that unit, you know, once Ryan Connolly went down, uh, that unit just kind of went down the tubes too. So that would be the one area I would say is is probably maybe worse than it was last year. But on paper, I think, a lot of the spots do look better. It's just they haven't harvested the production, and that's the problem. And that leads us to the area that, that you talked about a little while ago, and you said you know you can't stay with the status quo. And look, if you make changes with six weeks left to go in a season at this point, you're basically sort of you know putting lipstick on a pig at this point. It's these guys have been working together in the same system with the same coaches since the spring. There's six weeks to go. Even if you blew up the entire defensive staff right now, you're not going to put in a whole new defensive scheme to play the last six games. It, it is what it is. So change at this point, to me, in some ways, is, I mean, unless there's a, a dramatic reason you know, to, to make one, it, it's sort of like just doing it for show, but I do think there have to be some changes when we get to the off season and, and, and where do you anticipate, you know, seeing those changes, Patty? Oh, I think right off the bat, you've got to make some changes on the defensive side of the ball, the coaching staff, you know, is Betcher the guy to lead this team? You know, you can make the argument that, okay, look, he had these great defenses in Arizona, but was that because he was given this top-shelf talent? You know, to me, I've always believed that a coach earns his keep by taking all types of talent and harvesting the best out of them, and I don't think we have seen that with this defensive coaching staff. We've seen this, you know, similar mistakes being made with communication breakdowns, and it just makes me wonder – what the heck are they doing in practice? How are they teaching these guys that after 10 games, these same mistakes are happening time and again? The other thing I keep pounding the drum about, and I will continue to pound the drum on this, Pat Shermer needs to give up the play calling and adapt the CEO style of management. 
too many in-game decisions are being made that leave you saying, what the heck is he doing? That, and you consider the fact that, you know, in addition to being an in-game manager, you also want him to, to work with Daniel Jones, which is why he was probably hired to begin with, and also be able to, you know, have a say as to what's going on on defense and on special teams. I think right now he can't do that because he's so far into that offensive play call sheet that he doesn't have time to to worry about that. And he's now trusting his assistants to do that, not really overseeing them and vetoing them as would be his right as a head coach. You know, Patty, I've been kind of uh, on the fence on that idea of Shermer giving up the play calling. I've been on the, on the fence for a while but 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 I think you're convincing me at this point. I think I've come to to your side because it's the fact of the matter is it's just not working the way that it is. The offense isn't functioning the way that it needs to function and you wonder sometimes if if that's simply because the head coach who's calling the plays can't be as invested in it on a day-to-day basis as he might like to be and and the in-game management stuff, I think you wonder, first of all, who is he talking to before he makes those decisions? And you might also be right that if he's focused on the play calling and what is the next play, you know, is he clearly thinking through how he wants to handle each situation? I sat and listened to him talk the other night after the game and he he got a couple of questions about why he used his timeouts with more than four minutes to go the other night and he didn't come up right out and say he made a mistake but he came out and he said yeah I kind of wished I'd had those back I kind of wish I had those you know in the last couple minutes and then he said, well, he said, he said, once I committed to using the first one, I just sort of felt like I had to commit and, and go all in. But you just wonder if, if maybe not calling the plays would give him an opportunity to think more clearly about some of those circumstances. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. And I mean, look, when was the last time, you know, we, we look at Shermer and the plays he calls. Who is governing him? Who is policing him? I, I, maybe that's not the right word. But the point is, is the whole idea behind coaching is, is, is you come up with a, a concept or a play and the head coach has the right. And we saw this with Tom Coughlin when he was here to lean into the headset and say, no, I don't think that's the right play to go in this instance. Let's try this instead. And you have a discussion. Who is Shermer discussing this with? Mike Shula? Mike Shula can sit talking to his blue in the face, but if Shermer is convinced that that's the way to go, you know, what, what's the point? It, it, there is none. So I, I just think that, you know, you need to put a system of checks and balances in there and you need to make Shermer that guy who does the checks and balances and says to, you know, James Betcher, hey, why are we playing a two-man defensive front against a heavy Cowboys offensive line? Why don't we try this alignment instead? Or tell Thomas McGahee, Oh, you know, instead of having, you know, the kick go to the left, let's have it go to the right because you don't have that because Shermer, I think, is so invested in 
what am I going to do when we get the ball? And he's not just worried about the next play. He's probably thinking, okay, if this happens, then we should do this, this, and this. But if that happens, we should do this, this, and this. So you have this whole spider web that develops. And to me, the coach is just not managing the sideline as efficiently as he could be. You know, Patty, I've thought about various head coaches around the league, and there are head coaches I think Andy Reid is the best example in the league right now of a of a guy who has had long-term success being his team's offensive play caller. But the more I think about it, I think those guys who have success long-term, you know, a guy who continues to be the play caller, those guys seem to be exceptions because I think about the Belichicks and I think about the Mike Tomlins and I think about a lot of those, you know, those longer tenured coaches and Coughlin when he was at his best with the Giants are guys who who have their their finger on the pulse of, of the entire team. And it's just difficult to do when, when you're trying to run one side of the ball. It really is. And, you know, look, it's OK, Pat, to say I'm overwhelmed and you can't sit there and tell me, OK, you're not overwhelmed. You're dealing with a rookie quarterback who you're trying to, to, to bring along and groom. And, and, you know, that requires experience. And, and P.S., you know, we talk about changes. I still say they should hire a dedicated quarterbacks coach to coach this kid. Not somebody who kind of has the role. Not somebody, you know, not the head coach who's got to worry about the rest of the team or the offensive coordinator that's got to worry about the, the rest of the offense, but a dedicated quarterback coach. But just getting back to Shermer, it's okay to say, look, I'm doing too much. I need to delegate. And I don't know if this is a trust issue with him. Maybe because, uh, who knows, maybe he didn't get the, the assistant coaches that he was hoping to get. I don't know what the, what the matter is. Or maybe he just feels like, I can handle it. But the proof is in the pudding here. I mean, he's he's had his struggles and he's made some decisions that just leave you sitting there saying, what the heck is he doing? And it's costing this team. It is, Patty. And as I said at the top when we were talking about Shermer, I still think the organization wants him to succeed. The organization, we know the Giants. We know the Mara family. We know how the Giants have always done things. They want stability. They they don't like, you know, constant upheaval. We had that a couple of years ago. I know they would like to avoid it as, as long as possible. So I, I would think they're going to exhaust all avenues here with, with Shermer. And I think we agree. You know, some things have to be different. You, you, we, you know, you talked about changes on the defensive side of the ball perhaps a different offensive line coach, perhaps a different offensive coordinator, one one maybe who has some past ties to Shermer, one maybe that, that he might feel better about. You know, and this is not a knock on Mike Shula, but Mike Shula and Pat Shermer had no relationship prior to Shula coming to the Giants. So I guess the question is, do you think that in terms of the offensive coordinator, do you think that someone that Shermer has worked with before had a prior relationship, you know, bringing someone like that in, you know, might be a good thing for Pat and might help convince him to to step away from, you know, from calling all the plays? 
I think that could very well be it. I mean, you know, look, when Shermer was hired, he was asked, what have you learned from your first stint when you were in Cleveland? And he didn't go into detail. I went and I looked this up. He didn't go into detail, but he said, you know, if I had known some things then that I know now, I would do them differently. He never said what, but you wonder if play calling is one of them. You know, I know he said he enjoys doing it. You know, he doesn't mind doing it, that he's able to do it. Nobody's saying that he's not able to do it, but when you have a rookie quarterback and you have a young defense and a, and a young team that you are trying to, especially a team that you you turned over, that is a lot to put on somebody's plate. And, and you just wonder if, it, and you raise a good point, is it a matter of trust or not having that relationship with Mike Shula like he had with, say, uh, Kevin Stefanski? Right, Patty, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors here. Then I have a couple more questions, a couple more topics I'd like to get into uh, before we wrap it up. All right, Giants fans, we're back here on the Valentine's Views podcast. Ed Valentine with you and talking with Patricia Trena about the uh, the state of the 2 and 8 New York Giants as we uh, as we go through the bye week. Patty, let's talk a little bit about you know, something that, that people have been talking about, kind of gnashing their teeth about a little bit, and, and I guess that's the fact that that we haven't, since before the season, we haven't heard from Dave Gettleman, and we haven't heard from Giants' ownership, you know, publicly. To be, For me, it hasn't bothered me that much, to be honest with you. I mean, what are they going to say at this point, but... Does it bother you, you know, particularly that that uh, that the general manager hasn't, at least at midseason, in some fashion, you know, a- addressed the media? Well, like you said, what is he going to say? He's going to say, "Look, the, we're disappointed. The record isn't what what it has been. You know, we we've had some injuries. I mean, you could almost script what he would say to the questions he would get. I mean." You know, don't get me wrong. I I always enjoy talking with Dave, even if it's just in passing. And I would love to have the opportunity. I wouldn't turn it down. But at this point, what is he going to say that, you know, we haven't already seen? And, and, you know, what can he say? You know, people are going to ask him, OK, well, what are you going to do to fix it? He, he how can he, he can't fix it right now because you know you got to get through the rest of the season you got to do your evaluations you got to see how the rest of the league might be shaking out you know who might become available who's going to be available in free agency who's going to declare for the draft there's just so many unknown variables and i just don't know what dave can say you know or what john could say for that matter other than you know sorry guys we 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 you know we're not this isn't acceptable and and we apologize that we're putting you through this. I mean, that's really all they can say, I think. And, and, uh, you know, so I I don't know, man, I, 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 me personally, I don't have a problem with it. I know that I'm probably one of the few, you know, like you were probably the exception rather than the rule, but aren't we always Patty? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, it's scary. It's scary, man. It really is. But, Mm. but, um, but yeah, what are they going to say at this point that, like like I said, we could probably script the whole darn thing if they were to talk. It's funny because I used to actually do that with Jerry Reese press conferences. I used to actually preview his press conferences by by going through and scripting most of the uh, most of the questions he was going to get and most of the answers he would give. 
I can't I can't necessarily do that with Dave though because he He's uses colorful he uses the, yeah. crazy words that I never heard he before. Does. He does, but 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 you know, just look the way I see it, Ed. I would rather they be sitting and trying to figure out what they can do in the interim to get this fixed. I know maybe I'm being a little naive in saying this because I, they probably don't do this 24 seven. I'm sure they take breaks and stuff for, you know, meals and to sleep and whatnot. But, you know, while I would want to get answers for my readers, I don't think what they would, would share would be substantial. You know, it's, it's like, okay, would you force Pat Shermer, for example, or, or are you considering making a coaching change? Do you honestly think Dave Gettleman is going to s- admit to that? Even if it's, if that's the case, he's oh, not. Of course not, Patty. Let me ask you this question. And you and I, I think have talked about this. We know how angry Giants fans are at this point. We know that, that it's, you know, that it's, they're tired of, of years of of subpar football at this point. We also know that since Dave has taken over as general manager, there's one particular word he has refused to use, and it's what Mm -hmm. this actually is. It's what the Giants are actually going through, and it's a rebuild. It takes time. It's painful. The teardown took a year, and now we are... As as much as the Giants don't want to admit it, fans don't want to admit it, we're in the beginning stages of building it back up. In your mm-hmm. mind, would there be so much anger? Would this be easier for fans to to deal with? In, would there be so much anger pointed at, at Dave and at Shermer and, and at Giants ownership if they would just acknowledge that they're in a rebuild? I don't know, Ed. That's a good question. I mean, I think fans are, are, you know, I think they're intelligent enough to see that it is a rebuild. I think what maybe they're angry about is that Gettleman has said in the past, you can rebuild and win at the same time. I don't know necessarily that that is true. I think that was the hope. But from, you know, look, you've got to look at it also from a marketing perspective. If Gettleman comes right out and says, hey, we're in rebuild mode, the marketing, you know, the sponsorships will probably dry up or or not be as lucrative. And, you know, that's the bottom line, whether we want to admit it or not. But but yeah, you know, you make a good point. They don't want to admit that it's a full rebuild. You know, I, and I've made this comparison in, in articles. It's kind of like the Fonz from Happy Days failing to admit that he was wrong. You know, remember, you know, he wouldn't Oh he my God, I'm, I, I, I'm old enough to admit that I remember that really well, I Patty. I love it. I've been, <laughs> I've been watching reruns of Happy Days in the spare time. Great stuff. I miss the good old days of TV. But anyway, um, so anyway, um, yeah, it's like, you compare this to a house, and this is an analogy I made in one of my articles on on the Giants Maven. You can tear down the house, and you still have a structure, but the house might not necessarily be inhabitable until you fix some of the structure inside of it. You know, so so maybe you're revamping the rooms and the layout of the house. Maybe you're putting up new wallpaper. So it really depends on the level of renovation you're doing to the house, whether or not you can live in it, versus whether you know. You have to stay away from it. I think the Giants, if we're, we're making that comparison, they have 
gutted the inside of the house. You still have a structure, which in this case is the franchise, but the inside has been gutted and they're now replacing it with more stable, more um, uh, newer pieces, if you will. And those all are going to take time to settle and then they're going to, you know, they're going to do the cosmetic changes, you know, like the, the plaster walls, you know, the complementary pieces and stuff. And then ultimately you're going to have a brand new house that's going to be one they can live in hopefully for a number of years. So that's that's how I see where they're at right now. And again, fans, I think to a degree, they do understand that it is a rebuild. I just think the, the reason why they're upset is because the Giants have tried to maybe, and, and I don't know if it's done purposely or, or whatnot, but there's been this, this I guess, misconception or, or interpretation that they're trying to tell them that things are better than what they actually are. Oh, Patty, let's just hope that they're building that house in a nice neighborhood. Well, the neighborhood <laughs> doesn't matter. Let's just hope that the house looks beautiful and is functional. That's what you want. There you go. Hey, one more question, you know, be, before I let you go, before we, we wrap it up here. There was some chatter this week, you know, from, from a couple of the reporters, I think, and about shutting Saquon Barkley down for the year. To me, I think, you know, if he's healthy enough, then you go out there and you play, but maybe you limit his workload, you limit some of what you what you ask him to do. But I guess... My question for you is, having seen, you know, we know he hasn't been 100% with his ankle. Are you worried about any long-term damage, you know, being done to him? Are you worried about this kid at all? I think from a human perspective, I always worry, you know, just like I worry about Sterling Shepard. And yes, I will call him Shep. I got called out on Twitter for calling him Shep. But sorry, guys, you know, sometimes when you have a good working relationship with people, you call each other by nicknames. They call me PT. I call him Shep. OK, that's just how it is. Anyway, um, but yeah, for Sa Saquon, yes, I, I am concerned because he got beat up pretty badly by the Jets, you know, trying to take on the load. And I admire that he wants to to be a part of it. He wants to be part of the solution. I just think there needs to be a little bit better of a, a balance, maybe take some of that workload off, you know, because before this kid's ankle gets any worse and you can't tell me that that ankle is a hundred percent, I don't buy it. You've seen that he doesn't look like himself. So maybe instead of giving him, I don't know, 60 carry, you know, 60 game reps have those. I mean, you're not running him anyway, so why do you have to have him out on the field blocking and being a decoy anyhow? You know, why can't Wayne Gallman do some of that decoy work? I, don't, I just don't get it, you know? So find a happy medium that will allow Saquon to, to be a part of the solution, to continue to get the reps and the experience, but at the same time take some of the pressure and the stress off of his body. I think that's a good point, Patty. I guess one of the other things I would like to see is let's – Instead of, you know, handing him the ball and having him, you know, bang his way in between the tackles all the time, let's maybe spot him in some situations more where where they try to get him to the edges in the run game, where they try to throw the ball to him in space a little bit more, and 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 not have him, you know, take all of that pounding. I was, we saw him in the locker room after the game the other night, 
And in two seasons, I think that's the most discouraged that that I've ever seen him. So, you know, and and he was asked directly if he was hurt. And and he basically, he said, next question, he refused to answer it. So, you know, we know he's banged up. We know he's not physically what he'd like to be. And and a little bit like Daniel Jones, you know, because you forget Saquon is still a young player. You want these young players to come out of, of the season, you know, with their confidence intact and still feeling, you know, feeling good about being New York Giants. And and, and right now, in some cases, you know, don't you kind of wonder if if that confidence is cracking a little bit? A little bit, I think so. I mean, look, it's been a very hard and frustrating season, and and you got to look at it from a player's perspective. I I once had a player tell me, I don't mind getting beat up physically. I don't mind having to sit in the cold tub the next day and, you know, just walking around like I'm 100 years old if we're winning. When we're losing and I feel like that and it continues and there's no hope in sight, that's when I start to get a little discouraged. Now, some people might say, okay, well, then get the hell out of the game if that's how you feel. But I understand you got to remember these guys are human. And there is nothing more disheartening than to put all your blood, sweat and tears into something only to come up short of your goal. And I don't blame Saquon Barkley. I think it's great that he cares because Lord knows that over the years there have been guys that just take the paycheck and they walk out of the locker room and then they go party or, you know, go out to dinner or hang out with their friends or whatnot. Saquon cares. And I admire him for that. He's a captain and he's a wonderful captain at that. But, you know, they, they just you could see that that the losing is starting to infiltrate that locker room where guys, even guys who are normally Mr. Roses and Sunshine, are starting to to be down and, and, and the sparkle is gone in their eye. Yes, it is, Patty. We will hope that uh, that some of that sparkle returns over the uh, over the final six weeks. Patty, thank you very much, as always, for uh, for spending some time with me. Thank you for listening, Giants fans, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.